0: Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we will be speaking about who you are when no one is looking. We all have different faces that we wear. Maybe a better word for it would be different masks, for different occasions and for different people. There's the face mask, face slash mask we wear With our friends, there's the face mask we wear with strangers, there's the face mask we wear with co workers, there's the face mask we wear with um, family, there's the face mask we wear with people we trust, and there's face masks you wear when you're with people you fear. And in each of these categories, each person, we have our variations. Do we step back to think about it? Some of us do it automatically. It becomes routine. It just becomes almost knee-jerk reflexive in reaction to situations. But we all put on those faces and masks that we feel appropriate for the particular situation. What would you be like without any of these masks? If you were too... Really be yourself, without veils, without armor, without all the defense mechanisms that we have developed. What are you like? That's what we're going to be talking about. Are you comfortable with anyone in this world that you can be vulnerable with in that way? Some people would argue, look, we live in a hostile world. We live in a world where you can't trust anyone, really. So we always have to have some level of Defense, some armor, something to protect ourselves. But do you have anyone in this world where you really feel you can be completely yourself? Are you even comfortable with being with yourself yourself? Sometimes we become so accustomed to the projections and to the faces that we pr- present that it becomes our identity. So this is not a small question, because this affects every part of our lives. It begins by affecting how we express ourselves, how we actualize ourselves, and how we're busy adjusting to others. With all the performing we have to do to meet expectations and demands of those around us, we become performers. And as performers, we have our different masks and our different masquerades in our different faces, they're not all bad, but they're all veils, they're all shrouds that conceal the real inner you. So getting to the bottom of trying to understand and untangle this mystery of what is the inner you like versus the outer you can affect virtually and will affect virtually every aspect of our lives. But before we get into the actual process of understanding ourselves in this way and what we can do about it, I think it's worthwhile, as always, to go back to the root of it all. Why would it be this way in the first place? In the early years of the tech tech revolution, of the Internet, of technology, modern technology, there was this expression when they would design things if you remember, what you see is what you get. What you see, W Y S I W Y G. What you see is what you get. Basically that when you're writing something or you're designing something on the screen, you're actually seeing the way it's going to look to the user, to the front end. Or what you see is not what you get, that you design it in your language, and then there's an interface that makes it appear proper, and appropriate for the user experience. So my question is, why can we not be open books like that? What you see is what you get. Why do we have to have this need to put on a face, to put on a mask, to adjust, to perform? For us, many of us, it's a given as adults, because we live in a world where we need things, where people have different attitudes to us, and for us to get what we want, we need to ingratiate ourselves. And as such, we need to put on the smile, which may, we may not be an, an authentic one. Or sometimes we put on different types of faces and different expressions. So basically, we, we live a life that is based on others seeing us and looking at us, and we are responding to that, reacting to that. So why is there this so-called split You look at young children, they have no duplicity about them. What you see is exactly what you get. They say the way it is, they act on their impulses, and you have to actually be trained to not say everything, not to reveal everything. So they are seamless in that fashion. At some point in life, we learn to not be seamless. We learn to become split, a dissonance between the inner you and the outer you. You don't say everything you feel. And sometimes it's for the good. Not everything you feel you have to express. You don't want to offend other people. Just because you're insulted, you have to be careful how you express that. But it also has the downside that we begin to conceal and hide our true feelings. When we're invalidated, when we're mocked or laughed at, we begin to not react. We begin to withdraw. And we lose our voice because we don't feel confident in it. We feel will be dismissed, will be invalidated, will be not respected. The root of it all, as I often discuss, is an Kabbalistic concept presented to us by Rabbi Isaac Luria, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the great holy Arizal, as he's is known, the great fifteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth century mystic who lived in Sfat his last part of his life and revealed some of the greatest mysteries of the mystical teachings of the cosmos and of our personal souls. <clears throat> and what he did was what they call the chidush of the Rizal, the innovation. But it's not an innovation because everything in Torah always is based on previous teachings, like all knowledge. It's an innovation that he revealed it, that he of respect, he appreciated it and was able to show us the concept, what's called the doctrine or the secret of the symptom. And what is the symptom? The symptom is the birth of dissonance, the root of all dissonance, the mother of all dissonance. It means literally to conceal, to contract, to condense. That one reality was completely dominant, and the symptom puts on the brakes or puts on the veil and conceals it all that you don't know what's going on beneath the surface. The necessity for it was in order to create an independent consciousness so the symptom is necessary because that initial consciousness left no room for anything else. Think of a brilliant teacher walking into a classroom and his brilliance is so dominating, so overwhelming, none of the students can find their voice. They cannot even allow themselves to even listen because he's so dominant. What does he need to do? He needs to withdraw. He needs to conceal all that brilliance, so the students can have a place. So then they, when he sends a, then he transmits a, <clears throat> a narrow thread of consciousness, a flow. Then they can contain it. Should it be undiluted? Should it be presented exactly as it is? What you see is what you get. It would be impossible for children, for students, for beginners. To, be, to find themselves, to be able to contain this flow. That's what the symptom is. There's much more to be said about it, but suffice it for now. So what does the Tzimtzum do? It creates a duality, even a duplicity. Because when you conceal, someone walks into the room and sees this great teacher, you have no clue how great he is because he's withdrawn, he's not revealing his core power. You're only seeing a glimpse, a tip of the iceberg. So for survival, for your existence, you need that. But for reality, you don't see the whole reality, which is exactly what life is all about in this world. We don't see the big picture. And there's a reason for it. The reason is because we need to grow and assimilate and integrate that big picture. We begin by seeing the small picture. As a person grows and matures in intelligence and experience, and listening to others, learning from parents and from adults, then we expand our horizons and we're able to contain more, and then we can have a more bird's eye view. What's the downside? The downside is that meanwhile, if you're not wise and humble, you can convince yourself that your little myopic vision is all there is. The whole purpose of it was to conceal in order for it to reveal that you can grow. But let's say then you convince yourself, you know what, there's nothing more than what I see right now. That, of course, is defeating the purpose. So it's a constant balance. In every art of communication, in every educational system, in every inspiration, how much to give and how much to withhold. How much to restrain. Not in order to restrain, but in order to allow the recipient to receive on his or her terms and to grow at his or her pace. If you give too much, it can be suffocating. If you give too little, it can equally be suffocating because you don't allow the person to grow on their own because you don't give them enough to work with. So you need to have the exact amount that flows and not too much, not too little. The master, one who masters that masters the art of communication, the art of relationships. You want to give a lot of love to someone that you love. But they may not be able to contain all your love. And it may be on your terms, not on theirs. So the art is to figure out how to package it, how to channel it, in a way that the person can receive it. Not on your terms, on that person's terms. So love is not about you, it's about the one receiving it. On the other hand, if you withhold too much love, and you don't give anything, then you create a parched state of deprivation. Think of rainfall. Rainfall. Without rain, the crops don't grow. But if the rain comes down, is like a flood, not like raindrops. It can drown and destroy the crops as well. So that's why you have two steps. You need the rain, but it has to come like drops. water drops? At their pace, they can be absorbed in the earth before the next drop comes. If it comes down as a gushing, torrential flood, it can destroy the crops even more than a famine, even more than a drought, I should say. So the key is always both balanced. And the same thing is in the context of what we're discussing now. The great symptom created this ability for a relationship. Without without the symptom, it's one single entity, one single consciousness that dominates everything. There's no room for a relationship. You want a relationship, there needs to be space for another. But how much space? You don't want to give complete space to the point there's no relationship because then they're two different realities. On the other hand, not to give space at all or minimal space doesn't allow the other to grow. To blossom, to spread their wings. So this is the challenge. How do you bring together two consciousnesses with each one respecting the other and each one connecting and receiving from the other? Everything in life is this balance. The bloodstream, the circulatory system, the blood has to be perfectly measured, not too thick, not too thin. If it's too thin, it can hemorrhage, God forbid. If it's too thin, it can clot. You'll see every flow, basically every relationship, anything that's healthy has that balance. And this is happening millions of times every moment in our lives, our heartbeat, our breath, the way we digest. And of course, in the natural world, this balance is constantly being kept. Of course they can be disrupted and disruption can ultimately create big problems. The disruption can be too much of something good or too little. So it's really in the language of the Kabbalists a balance between the chesed and the gvura. Between the flow of loving kindness and the restraint and discipline and harnessing of gvura. And the combination of the two is the secret to all relationships. But let's bring it back to our discussion here. So the root of Two realities where you can have your face that you show is different than what you carry inside you is rooted actually in a very positive place, a place that allows for these two entities. So where does it, it go awry? Where does it go wrong? It goes wrong when it gets too extreme. When the real you, which for good reason may be concealed to a certain extent, goes completely undercover... And the new you is the face that you put on. The mask that you are projecting becomes the person that you are. Then it's gone to two extremes. What you want to have is be able to access the you when nobody is looking. Let's call the inner you the true you. And know then how to channel that in each particular circumstance based on who you're with. Now obviously if you're with somebody that you don't trust, you're not just going to open up. So, you do put on a certain mask or you put on a certain armor, a certain defense, but it's coming very deliberately. It's not, by, it's not coming by accident. It's not imposed on you, it's by choice. And indeed, the person you meet that you do trust and you do love and you learn to love, someone close there, much more of the inner you is expressed in the outer you. But the fact of, that is most, the, fact of the matter is that most people, the outer face has become the dominant force. And they often often lose sight and even awareness of what you are like when no one else is looking. And you become either what is demanded of you, you please others, or whatever you in your own mind come to the distortion of what face you should be wearing, and that becomes the you, the proper you, the kind you. And I may have a lot of great qualities, but is it the real you? one more key point there's a fascinating Talmud Rabbi Yochanan Ben Zaki a great, great sage at his deathbed he tells his students Halavai which means may it be that your fear of God should be like your fear of other people essentially acknowledging that we're far more concerned what others think about us than what God thinks about us. Why? Because God's invisible. We can deceive ourselves into thinking nobody's watching. So very often that's what our lives become. We're defined by the fears and the judgment and the opinions of others. Not necessarily answering to a higher calling to your soul. Because to our soul we almost like you know there we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. So we invest ourselves in that concern. And this is even in the times of the sage, the great sage, with his students all being sages. They were not small people. And yet this is a fact of life. How could that be? How could a godly person, a God-fearing person, fear others more than they fear God? And fear, in other words, not only fear and trembling, but fear as in respecting others' opinions. And we see how difficult it is when people don't accept us. We see how the lengths we go to be part of a group. How could that be? Because of the tzimtzum. Because it conceals. So true reality remains somewhat elusive. And then we become far more victim and far more subject to the forces that we see around us, the people that are looking at us whether they're close people, our parents, educators, people we want to earn their respect. So there's a certain element of positivity in that in social interaction. But when it starts distorting who you are in order to jump through hoops for others, to make your father happy, your mother happy, and never finding your own voice, then what happens is it comes at a great, great price. So you don't rock the boat. Everyone's comfortable but you have been lost in the process. So what we're going to learn here is not that you have to cause resentment and hostility and tensions with everyone around you, but you have to begin to look at your life from the inside out instead of the outside in, which means that understand your voice and then make the determination. Just because you know your voice doesn't mean you have to argue with anyone who disagrees with you. So when you are pleasing somebody or you're choosing not to engage in a confrontation, it should come from strength, not from weakness. You should know, you know, here's where I stand, but I've made a very deliberate decision. I'm not going to disagree with that person, even though I disagree with them. For whatever reason, out of strength, either may not be worth it or because you have other benefits and there's no need always to create tensions. mean, there are many reasons. But not out of weakness, not because you're afraid, not because you're trembling what others are going to think about you. So, of course, the first question is, so how that, what do we do? We're no longer young children. And most likely, young children are not listening to this. They don't have the patience to listen because they're already seamless. They don't need this, this guidance. So what do we do? We're already in that place. We already have a front face and a back face. A front end and a back end. And that's the way we maneuver. And some of us are brilliant at it. We know exactly. There are people who can put on a face, who can put on an attitude, and you think they're completely with you when they absolutely despise you. And vice versa. They're masters, con artists, people who know how to sell something. They can get enthusiastic. So what do we do? Well, awareness is always the first step. You need to be aware. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, am I the masks that I have developed? I think maybe an earlier question. What masks do you wear? Do you even know? Some people say they're not masks. They're just part of my real real personality. So the first step is let's define. Can you define some masks? When was the last time you went to a party you really were not happy to be there but you put on a smile. You go to work and you really not do not like your work, but you gotta comply. Or sometimes the opposite. You may be in a very good and buoyant mood, but you meet some friends who are want to share their misery with you. You don't want to hurt them. So you you know you go along and they may think that you're agreeing with them. I mean, the list goes on, you can find hundreds of examples. But identifying them is step one. Without identifying them, We don't even know what we're doing. Identifying Just a few. Identify a few masks that you've put on in the last week. Or maybe some that you put on all the time for certain individuals because that's what needs to be done when it comes to that person. Some people say, when my mother calls me, I always go into a certain mode. That's a mask. You say to somebody, can you speak with someone you love openly? No way. I'll never hear it. They'll see me criticizing them, they'll right away attack me, or whatever, or they'll shut down. So we adjust. We adjust. So just define, identify, I should say, several such masks. The next question is the one I began with, but this should be the second question Is that you? And if the answer is no, so I say, okay, so why did I put on this mask? So you can say, because it was convenient, it was beneficial to me. Or I didn't want to disturb anybody. I didn't want a confrontation. I didn't want to fight. Fine, that's a good beginning. The more you can identify the masks we wear, the faces we project, and recognize whether it is really you or not, is an excellent beginning. Then comes the next question. What would you be like? What would you be like without these masks? What would happen? So actually, there's exercises for that too. It's difficult to do with others because obviously with others you are putting on all your faces and masks, but with yourself. Take a few minutes, if you want even 15 minutes, a half an hour, and spend time without any outside stimulation. Get off your text, get off watching any videos, even reading a book, even interacting with others. Be with yourself. Just see what you're like. Where you don't have to answer to anyone, we don't have to respond. You don't have to project. You don't have to perform. What, were you, what are you left with? Now, I've tried this, and some people have told me it's a terrifying prospect. I haven't done this who knows how long. Well, that makes it even more compelling to do it because you'll be surprised what you discover. You'll discover something that you may not be so familiar with. The you that is not defined and identified by others... For some people, this is a very good exercise on the day of Shabbat. Six days of the week we're performing, we're working. Shabbat is a spiritual day where we travel back inward to experience ourselves. So that's step number two. Step number three, if you can indeed identify some part of your true self that's unmasked, that lies beneath the mask, uh, can you commit or identify some activities suggest some activities that would help you express that part of yourself. An example. Maybe sit down and write. Whether you're a good writer or not is not relevant here. Write for yourself. Write down a paragraph or two. What would I be like if there was no one looking? What would I be like if there was no one expecting or demanding anything? What would I be like if I was not under the influence of parents, educators, the system, workers, employers, the media, What would I be like? See what you can come up with. And this exercise is really meant for clarity purposes only. There's no such thing as right or wrong. What would you come up with? And you'll be surprised that just the exercise itself is quite liberating. It's quite liberating. Because it allows you, and you're giving yourself permission, to respect yourself outside of others. I'm not suggesting we cut off. I'm not suggesting this is the place to go. I'm just suggesting that we are introducing another person into this picture. It's like you ever been to a party and everybody gets introduced and they forget to introduce you. So you maybe swallow it, your pride, but you remember. And then someone says, you know, I want to introduce my friend. That alone is already a very empowering and validating thing. It's liberating. Knowing that you deserve to be respected. You deserve to be heard. So what we're working toward is actually becoming comfortable with the part of ourselves that maybe does not come out very often. Now some of us may say when we get to that part, a lot of anger is going to come out. I have a lot of bitterness. I have a lot of resentment. So be it. But that also is not the true you. That's part of the reason, part of the effect of being repressed is that you carry a lot of resentment. What we're trying to look for is the positive real you, what you really consist of. Very many of us have been silenced, have been told you cannot play that instrument, you cannot sing your song, you cannot play your music, literally and figuratively. What do you think happens? It goes undercover, as I said. And a new image, a new identity projects. We're looking for us to reconnect with that part of ourselves. And it could be in small steps. It could be, like I said, a little writing. It could be musical. It can be just dancing alone in a room. No one's watching. So there's no shame, whether you're good or bad. But by doing so, you're beginning to get, acquaint yourself with that inner self, and you're beginning to express it. The next step would be in this process, which doesn't mean immediate next step. It could be weeks. It could be months. Once you've trained yourself, then comes ways to express it in real life. And you go over to someone you know well, you may say something very differently. You may react differently. You may not just be a pushover. You may have much more discretion, much more opinion. And not in any way hurtful. But You're just in touch with a part of yourself that's not about others. As I said, very liberating. That you can make a choice that this is about you. It's about you about your power, your capacity, your uniqueness that you and only you have, your indispensability. The more you get in touch with that, the more confidence you build that I can do it. I have a voice. I can write it. Maybe write it for yourself. I know people who have written letters to themselves, and for years, ten years, even more, that remained their own little secret. And then comes the day where time has come to Express it. And you express it, maybe with people you know well, maybe people that are friendly to you. I mean, there's many ways to express it. But it's a tremendous exercise because what you're doing is beginning to recognize that inner self. Now, let me tell you where it's going. If you go through these steps, the next step is you want to get more comfortable with it to the point that you actually initiate or participate in a project that you feel would really be an expression of yourself would really actualize a talent that you have. Let's say you know how to design. You become part of a project. I want to design that. You know how to write. You know how to communicate. You know how to analyze. To use that strength that you've discovered, and step by step, in some project, in some area, that's when it really becomes gratifying because it's no longer just an experiment. It's no longer just training as a child, but you're now actually implementing it in real time in your job, in your work. And everybody can do this. That's the good news. Everybody. It just requires a will. It requires to shift your thinking from the way you've thought till now. We usually think like victims. You know, this is what happened, here's what I'll do about it. Instead of being proactive, we're reactive, proactive, initiating. What would... How can I use my talents, my skills? How can I bring other people with their unique skills in doing A, B, C. That's where you ultimately want to end up, where you initiate. You're a leader, not a follower. So, once you're able to do that, then what happens is the masks that you may put on take on a whole new shape. They don't define you. They are a tool that you use for this and this situation. We all do it. I mean, I speak in different audiences. They require a different message. They may require the same message, different words. That's the art of a communication. And even with people we love and we're close with, it's that one vanilla single color, this constant shifting and adjusting towards what we call the energy, adjusting toward the containers that they are illuminating so that we recognize that value that every individual has. And, of course, we recognize our own particular strength. So really, that's what it comes down to, building upon that. And getting the friends and the support necessary to ensure that you forge ahead, even when there may be setbacks. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal. The ultimate goal of who you are when no one is looking. And then taking that who you are, that central self, and expressing it in a place where people are looking, so they can benefit from it, they can appreciate it. And it's not as difficult as it may sound. Is the fear of suddenly discovering a part of yourself that people may not like in your mind, or people are so used to the other self, that outer projected self. Yes, these are all legitimate concerns, but think of the benefit far, far outweighing the challenge the benefit of discovering a whole new dimension of yourself to achieving things you've never even thought possible to achieve the impossible. Because you're identifying and you're allowing to emerge a part of yourself that you, you you probably don't even know much about <clears throat> an interesting thing in hebrew the word for face is panim panim what's the word for internal internal is also panim pnimut the inside in english when you say the face the face of the object and the face of it the face of the ocean We only mean the outer surface, the outer superficial surface. We never think of it in terms of panim as an internal thing. What you see is not what you get. You look at a sea cover, the face of the ocean, you see water, waves, from time to time a little fish, but no clue what's going on beneath the surface. To the point that if we did not know better, we would think there's maybe a few little fish, What the depth is like, are there volcanoes and mountains and plateaus and you name it. Everything is there and more abundance than on earth. But on earth it's all obvious. So the surface can also hide. Don't judge a book by its cover. If you ever heard a cliche that nobody follows. There's a billion dollar book industry that very much judges a book by its cover and designs books for that reason. So I understand the point is to make the point that you shouldn't judge it. But we do. Because covers and packaging matter. More time is often invested in the package of something than the product itself. You come home, with a big package, and the product is this size. Because packaging matters because it affects us, our, the, the, we who are superficial creatures on one end. We see everything on the surface level, like I mentioned earlier, and we we'll not always appreciate that which is within. So packaging, marketing, selling something, making it look good. The fact that it may be deteriorating under the surface, that it may be corrupt, it looks good. Let's not, let's not shake things up. But as we grow into adults, we come to realize it's not exactly that way. There is the face, but there's the inner. But as I said in the English language, the face and the inner are two opposites. The face is not the inside. In Hebrew, the outer face is an expression of its inner quality. What you see is what you get. Beautiful soul is expressed in a beautiful package. And it doesn't begin with a package, it begins with the inside. So you radiate with your inner self, with your inner spiritual self, with your soul. So you see here, the two different directions here. One is going from the outside in, and the inside and out are not exactly aligned. And one is from the inside out, and they are aligned because the outer expresses the inner. That's when you learn to express your voice to others. You write it, you can sing it, you can design it. Many, many different ways to do this. But then your mark is the key element. And you don't have to be concerned about the outer, because the outer is going to be the outer expression of an inner purpose, of an inner soul. The body is expressing the soul, not the soul is expressing the body. And then your whole life takes on another shape because everything you do materialistic, in the material world, everything in this materialistic world is made up of matter, inanimate matter, or even if it has some intelligence, it's not anything close to the human intelligence. And matter can conceal on the spirit within, just like a face can conceal what's beneath the face, what's beneath the surface. What's under the dashboard? That's how it is. The Simpson has done its job, and a good job at that. Comes another element, and that says, hey, you have an inner self. When you express it, it will shine. Your face will shine. Not just due to cosmetics or other type of um, interventions, but because the inner glow appears on the outer surface. And then you go back to a state of non-duality, of seamlessness, of unity. So before the tzimtzum, as I mentioned, there's a pure, beautiful light, but there's nothing else. There's no room for another. You want the other, and the other be aligned. And then what you have is real beauty, harmony within diversity. So in the Kabbalistic language, it is that this ray of light, this narrow ray of light called the kavachut, the line and the thread of light, that comes after the great concealment, the teacher is now extending, transmitting a flow, a minimal flow, but it carries within it all the power of the light before there was this concealment, to the point that the Kabbalists and the mystics, the Hasidic masters, all discuss this at length, how much is concealed, and this narrow light, how much of it is really reflective of its core essence, because again, we want to have both, we want to leave room for the other, but we want the other to be aligned with its partner, with its higher um, counterpart, which is the divine aspect, <clears throat> so that you have a seamless flow between the inner and the outer. Now, most of us in our lives, like I always mention, if someone asks you, what do you do? They give you their business card. But that's what you do. That's not who you are. I'm sorry, what do you... Who, let me correct that. You ask somebody, who are you? They give you their business card. But that's not who you are. That's what you do. That's the outer you. Who are you without all those outer forces? Many of us have never thought about it. And even if we do, there's usually a conflict with the outer, and we allow the outer to dictate how much of the inner will be expressed. However, when you take a new attitude, that the real you is that inside you, that is not defined by others and not defined by expectations, then that becomes the catalyst. That becomes the driving force, the captain of the ship that tells all other crew members and every other part of the ship where it should be going. That's when you know that you've discovered your soul, that you've discovered that uniqueness, you've discovered that part of you that's indispensable, that part of you that does not need to satisfy anyone else. You answer to yourself. But it's a step-by-step process. It's very difficult to go from one extreme to the next. We are all dependent on others. We're all social creatures or even social animals, we need approval, we need a group, we need validation, we need that support. Okay, but that doesn't mean you can't open your eyes to start looking at it in a bigger way. And nothing wrong with to share it with your friends, because we can actually create a ripple effect of this higher awareness and higher consciousness within our existent consciousness, which is the ultimate goal, the joining of the two perspectives the higher perspective and the lower perspective. That we, through our eyes, can see it also from that perspective that is beyond, that transcends purpose and that transcends even the lower levels of existence. So when you are able to go to that place, you come to realize that there's a part of you that is not at all projectable to others. And we all know that because there's clearly things like we say, A person cannot express everything that's in their heart. You can try to compensate, you can try to replace it with a gift, you can write something, but there's something that you feel deep that's not easy to express or not possible at all. Because words are containers, as I've discussed many times, and as containers, it can only contain that much energy. The more intense the energy of your intimate self, the containers would shatter. They would not be able to contain it all. So therefore, it comes with measure. It comes with measure. So though, that will ultimately expand, but you need that measure in order for us to remain sane. But we want to expand the horizons, expand the channels. And that's where we get into this discussion of, we want to bring some of our, outer into the, our, some of our inner into our outer selves in projecting. Very often, as I repeated a number of times, it goes the other way around. What you look like, your outer self is dictating what your inner self should be which is sad. It's like the, a tool chest telling the worker, the hammer telling the worker well how you should use the hammer. The, ham- the, the, the worker should be telling the hammer, the captain should be telling the ship where to go. The ship doesn't tell the captain where to go. So, my friends, this idea is relevant to each one of us because we have to look at ourselves in the mirror, no pun intended, and ask what face are we wearing. Now, I have to qualify and say there are some of us that are very duplicitous and we're very comfortable with it. We're comfortable with lying. We're comfortable with being two-faced. Again, no pun intended. I don't have much to say to a person like that in the sense, what am I supposed to tell you? You know yourself that that's not a lie, but you become so cynical or jaded or seen others do it, so now you've become part of the problem. So obviously a person like that is difficult to reach. Sometimes they hit rock bottom. Sometimes there's an awakening. Everybody has moments. When a person says, that's the way it is, that's what I do. But I would hope that most of us, even though that's the life we live, the faces and masks, but most of us would step back and say, very good point, is that really me? Where am I most comfortable? Going back to the initial questions. And you come to discover, you should come to discover, that your soul is so, so precious, and you hold on to it for your dear life. It can resolve of the problems in our lives. It could. Because it's coming from the inner self, the inner you. You have one little glimpse of that, and it changes the whole picture. The outer, with all the great advice and exercises and communication tools, it's really more like Band-Aids. Once in a while, a good therapist, someone good, can go further than that. But very often, it's Band-Aids. What we're looking for is to actually actualize the real you, the real love that's inside of you, and actually realize and connect with it and realize it's value in the world in which we live. Value. And if you don't see the value, you make sure that you don't succumb to other people mocking. And you turn to others, friends, as I said, mentors, and they can help you see clearly. That's the objective. And that also means it's not a one-time thing. It's something that has a perpetual commitment. You can't just do it one day. You have to do it on an ongoing basis, and with such with such an attitude, what happens is we couldn't actually conquer, and even eradicate even a disease like that seems so prevalent, because we learn to what health is all about is the conver- is the, com- the convergence and the fusion of the inner and the outer. So imagine what kind of peace of mind and peace of heart we have when things are working when we are able to access the inner self and bring it out to the outer self. So the first step, as I said, is looking at yourself, then looking at your reactions, looking at what has taken over your life, and looking also at the faces that are very pleasant faces. I assure you that everybody digging will find sometimes that they really say, I was very proud of myself, in whether you helped another person, whether you hosted, whatever it may be, hold on to those moments for your dear life because they was what keep you going those positive experiences where things come together it'll help you it'll spill over and help you deal with the challenges where there is the duplicitous the two forces at work the voice that takes you here and the voice that takes you here so in the final analysis we say who are you when no one is looking you're a very beautiful soul that's, laid, that's trapped, like a hostage inside of you. And your mission is to reveal it, to express it. We express it through kindness, through love, through charity, through charitable acts, compassion. We, share, we, we express it through many of the things we do that contribute something to the human condition. And yet, at the same time, we also have, that's the chesed part, we also have the gvura part, which is meant to have discretion, to have discipline. But when it's taken overboard, especially after the sin, the tree of knowledge, like I said earlier, it can create a confusion, a snowball effect that we've been discussing. You need the berurim. You need the ways to refine it to be able to clarify and say, this is not just a duality, there's a unity here, a clarity and a unity between the outer and the inner. Is that deep satisfaction you have when you discover something and you don't know what it is? But then comes the satisfaction you discover what it is and how it's part of a cog in a larger mosaic, cog in a larger machine. And then you really appreciate wow, this thing, look what it can do. Its role in life. That role is you've discovered the inner purpose for an outer being. That's what we need to be looking for. Find that ability to look inside and allow that to define. Our lives. So, some people have beautiful faces. They smile. And, you know, I always question myself. I say, you know, it's a beautiful smile. Why wouldn't I just... But I know that some people smile, maybe masking other things, even though I've seen authentic smiles. But you have to know how to look at it all. Because life, you have people scowling at you, road rage. When's the last time we experienced that? Almost on a daily basis if you're driving... You know, just a whole lack of civility. So much part of people not at peace and not comfortable with their own souls. They have these two realities that they have to bridge. And they're unable to really bring that into inter- integration and fusion, which is what we're discussing now. So imagine a face reflecting the wisdom of a person. You look at this face, you see a refined person. The mannerisms. They're walking, they're talking, they're doing business. Everything is led with dignity. Now, that's something that often we don't look for, but when you do look for it, you'll see it's always connected to our seamlessness. If you try to take a person like that and split them into two, by saying, you know what, do this and then do that, they will be miserable and it will make other people miserable. So the goal is to look into our own hearts and souls, look into the discourse, of course, and see how you can identify These two elements, the effort, the effort we need to make and the integration that's necessary to be able to create that seamless flow between inner and outer. So I'm sure each of you has a beautiful face. I'm sure you have a beautiful inside. Can that be bridged? Can your beautiful face, can your beautiful mannerisms express your inner beauty? That's the objective. That would be quite something. So in that spirit, let me say this. We are the Meaningful Life Center, including myself. This is what our dedication is, to help people find integration instead of fragmentation, instead of tension, to integrate, to, to synthesize, to fuse. <clears throat> and it all begins fusing your inner self with your outer self. And I've given some exercises where to begin. You don't have to think of it cold turkey, either I do it all or nothing. It begins with the first step, of looking at the faces you project, looking why you project them, what would you really think, why are you not revealing that, and slowly exercising those muscles, those spiritual muscles, those psychological muscles, in ways that actually can help human beings. And then you come to discover that your outer self can be an expression of your inner self. As I said, there's much more to be said on this topic. Suffice it for now. Please go to meaningfullive.com, where you can find a lot more material on this and other matters. It's always a pleasure and honor to say a few words to all the intersecting souls that come together and all of you online. And please reach out. Please be in touch if you're ever in New York. Please join us at a class or an event. It's easy to find us and easy to connect with us. Everyone be blessed with a very peaceful week from within and without. And if should there be any ups and downs, always remember the inner face that you carry, the inner beauty, the inner harmony, that not everybody appreciates. That's why it's looked down upon. And I believe that we can reclaim it and, regain its, and it should regain its true stature in our personal lives, in our collective lives, in our relationships. Thank you so much. Please subscribe to us, MeaningfulLife.com. If you want any more materials, just do a search on our a vast website with a tremendous amount of materials as well as reaching out to us for any particular needs that we can be of help, I want to bless that um, all of you, whatever you're doing, you should be able to really actualize yourselves in the fullest sense of the word and can read that connection to the outer face, to the inner face, that you have them both together fused as one. We're here every week. These programs are archived, so you can listen to them and forward them as much as you like. They go live most likely, usually Wednesday at 8.50, 8.30 p.m., I should say. And uh, go till 10.30 sometimes. Uh, eight, I'm sorry, go to 9.30, sometimes a little longer, a little shorter. Anyway, we have many services, many programs available to you. Just go to MeaningfulLife.com and check it out. Thank you so much. Keep a good face, an inner face, an outer face. May it be seamless. May you reclaim your innocence with the seasoning and experience that you have and truly live an integrated life. Be well.